0: This is The Engine Room, Home Church Scotland's leadership podcast. Leadership is the driving force behind any organisation. Thanks for joining us as we share some of the things that we've learned on our leadership journey. So we looked at, I think, four or five things about the life of King David last time. And I'm going to just expand on that a bit today. Last points we looked at just as a reminder was godly leaders require patience. Godly leaders require humility. Godly leaders require courage. Godly leaders take responsibility for their mistakes. And we finished off with godly leaders don't compare themselves to others. They be the best version of themselves. That was the points uh, from last time. And uh, I think I've got seven today, but some of them are wee ones, so we'll rattle through them. Um, The first one is that leaders are called by God. I know that sounds really self-explanatory, but there's an awful lot of self-explanatory stuff that we don't do right in church uh, for some reason. But leaders are called by God. There's a lot of people and a lot of churches and a lot of parts of the world that want to appoint themselves as leaders for a man-made, what's the word? Ambition. Um, Bible says, we talked about it on Sunday, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. But a lot of people have got selfish ambition and vain conceit and they want to be in some sort of a role that they haven't been called to. And and we've seen it time and time again and and, and I've come across it a lot. I've seen so many times uh, people leaving their church to plant a church because they think they can do a better job. And half the time, the church is not going in five years' time. Um, And the thing is with me, if I use myself as an example, if that's all right, I know I was called to this job. So it does not matter how hard it gets, I'm not quitting, because I can't quit because it's a call of God. If you're called by God, you don't quit. If you're not called by God, you can easily quit. And was a look at the life of David, he was not looking for a position. He wasn't looking to be king. He was really happy just to be looking after the sheep. And even after he was anointed king by he didn't try and rush the process. He didn't try and do it ahead of God's timing. He just stayed in his lane. He stayed faithful to the small things uh, and waited patiently on God's timing. Um, I know it can be hard to kind of understand when you're thinking, so how then do I know if I'm called? Um, I think, and, and there'll, be, there'll be different things. I can only obviously talk from my own experience. For me, there's a, there was a sense of, I know I have, I'm supposed to do this, but the weight of it was really, really, really heavy. If there was an element of, I can't wait to get up on that platform and have my own church and all that, then I don't think I'm called. I think that's a man made. Um, does that make some sense? I mean, I want some of that. I'm looking forward to that. I just wasn't there. There was an absolute certainty to both myself and Ella that God had called us to come here, but we didn't want to. And I think sometimes the call of God is like a weight That you, you just can't shake the burden of it You know that's where you're going to be But it's not easy But also what's really, really important Because often God uses a leader to confirm what you're thinking. That's why accountability is so important. It was Samuel who was like the leader of the nation who confirmed to David that he was going to be king. Um, That's why I don't believe, you know, and and again, I've said this every time I've said it, there's exceptions to the rule. So I'm not, of course there is, but generally I don't believe in self-appointed pastors. I believe in people who are ordained and appointed by a church or a denomination because it's not just them that feel have to be here. There's other people going, yeah, we also believe you've to be there. We believe you've got the character to be there. We believe the callings in your life and people are ordained and sent into ministry. Um, so, do you know what I mean? Like, if you look, you look at Asia's example, she's felt called to mission for how many years? But it's not about rushing ahead and going where well, you know when to go. It's like you're waiting on a confirmation. So, the confirmation, to Asia might have been a Scottish dude phoning and saying, here, come on. You know what I mean? So like there's, there's, there's often more than just a desire to go and do the thing you want to do. There's wanting to do the thing you want to do, and there's a, there's a leadership authority affirming that, and there's a burden from God that you just can't shake. That's how you know you're called by God to do something, not just because you think you can do a better job than the person who's currently doing the role or, or any of that stuff. Does that make sense? that fair, Asia? Thank you. Right. Uh, number two, leaders need friends. That they can trust. This is really, really important. Um, if you want to be a leader, you have to have a friend or a couple of friends that you can trust. Leadership's a really, really lonely place. And a lot of leaders don't have friends that they can trust and friends they can talk to and friends they can offload to and people that they know have their back. Obviously, David to Jonathan, who was King Saul's son, And so solid was their friendship that when King Saul was coming after David to kill him, Jonathan warned him and Jonathan told him and Jonathan helped him because of their loyalty and because of that friendship that was there. So it's important that we've got friends we can trust. It's also important that when looking for that friend and sort of, if you like, almost choosing that friend and deciding what relationships you're going to invest your time in is that, you know, you look for the right person. A massive part of that is choose a friend that you've never heard gossip about anybody. Because if they've gossiped to you about somebody else, guess what? They're going to gossip about you to somebody else. There's people in my life who, you know, I would call them mates, perhaps, certainly acquaintances. Never in my life would there be someone I would trust with any information because I know the whole church is going to know or the whole town's going to know because they just can't keep stuff in. There's just people that love to talk, um, and that's not what we're meant to do. Now, of course, part of an important thing I have in this, friend, is understanding that you can offload to someone. So We all need someone to offload to. Uh, I don't believe gossiping is sharing with like a close person to get something off your chest. I've, I employ loads of counsellors. And every single fortnight, the people I employ to be counselled have to share their burden with some, someone called a supervisor. That's the law. Yeah, actually, if you don't do that, you're in trouble because you can't store stuff inside. That's where mental health problems come. That's where burnout comes. That's where troubles come. We all need someone to offload something to. We don't need 20 people to offload things to. That's gossip. See you know what I mean? But we need someone that we that we know, I can tell this person what's going on and it's not going to go any further. We have that within the leadership. There's no really much I hide for the leadership because I know I don't have to because I can talk to them and it's not going anywhere. Um, And I've got, got, you know, one friend really that I trust very solidly that if I offload stuff, it isn't going anywhere. And that's really, really important that we all have that. So we all know the difference between someone you can trust with a burden and someone who's a gossip. So just be very, very careful what friends you choose. It's also just important as a leader to be careful who you surround yourself with. We know that in life you become like the people you surround yourself with. Like our encouragement to the youth, and it's really, really hard when they're in school, is to have your best friends being Christians. Because if your best friends are going partying every weekend, you're probably going to end up partying every weekend and you're probably not going to end up in church. We have to surround ourselves with the right people. If you hang about as a leader with people who have poor character, people are going to think you've got poor character. And if you don't have poor character, you'll probably develop a poor character simply by being around people with poor character. Am I making sense? So in a leader, as if you want to be a leader, particularly you want to be a leader in church, you actually have to choose your friends really, really wisely. And sometimes it might be because I actually really like that person, but they cannot be in my inner circle because they just can't be trusted. And if I'm hanging about with that person, people's going to assume that I'm like that person and people's going to assume that I'll behave like that person and... And that, you know, so it is really, really hard in leadership. You have to choose um, your friends, right? You have to choose your spouses, right, as well, but that's a whole lot. That's not a, nothing to do with King David, that to be honest, but we need to be careful with this stuff. Anyway, so point number two is leaders need friends that they can trust. Point number three, um, leaders will face opposition. Sorry about that. <laughs> you cannot be a leader and never face opposition. Um, it can't happen. David faced opposition from Saul, as we know, but he also had experienced loads of opposition from his own sons, several of them. He experienced crazy amounts of opposition from people with out with, like enemies, Philistines, and and different uh, different towns, different armies, different stuff. Um, he he dealt with an awful lot of criticism. And if you want to be a leader, you'll deal with the same type of criticism. We'll deal with criticism from out with, and we'll deal with criticism from within. It just comes with the territory. Part of engine room is trying to equip people in our church into leadership. Part of it is there's things that I'll talk about at engine room that you just don't really, you wouldn't really say in a Sunday morning. But it's like if we can get, I said this a week one, if we can get a small group of people understanding the correct culture and the correct attitudes and we live it out, then it becomes easier for the whole church. So needless to say, but I'm going to say it, we are not a church who opposes people from within. That's not what we're ever going to be. We're a church who support people. We're a church who encourage people. And we're a church who build people up. We don't oppose. We don't criticize. We encourage Um, We all know people who love to criticise. I know a lot of people who love to criticise. And most people who love to criticise have never achieved a thing. You'll notice that. Seriously, most people who love to criticise have never actually led the thing that they're criticising your leadership of, uh, or they don't have any sort of a real understanding of what it takes to do the the job that you're doing. That's why it's easy to criticise them. I will never, I, I, I'll tell you this right now, and I know I'll do it when I retire, I will not criticize church leaders, because I know how hard it is. It's not going to happen. Your job is to support church leaders. And the thing is, if you're a criticizer, Satan will use you. Satan loves to use criticizers, and he knows he knows how to knock people down, and it's criticism above most things, it's going to steal the joy from leaders and steal the joy from people and do that. So a critical, um, negative person will never ever become a leader in this church. Now that's not to say that questions can't be asked. Questions can be asked and should always be asked. But questions need to be asked about in the right way. And in this church and in our leadership meetings we're all about I call it constructive encouragement, not constructive criticism. I don't like the term constructive criticism. It's constructive encouragement. Sometimes encouragement is, have you thought about doing it like this? Because it might be better. That's not saying you're an idiot for not doing it like this. It's, have you thought about it? and having open discussion and not making people feel small and, and not making people feel silly. And certainly over the time, certainly with our leadership, we've got a great leadership. Quite often I'll change my mind in something or I'll change my way forward or. That, like that's part of learning and part of building each other up, but it's all it's, a, it's about handling these things in the right and proper way and knowing how to how to handle such things, so number three is leaders will face opposition and number four is leaders can handle opposition and leaders can handle criticism, so it's not just a case of you're going to experience it, that's a guarantee but if you want to be a leader you have to know how to handle it so we handle criticism in the appropriate way if you are a leader who hasn't been criticized you've either not been a leader for very long or you just haven't heard the criticism because it's said behind your back you are not a leader who does not experience criticism i'm just going to put that out there right now it's an absolute guarantee uh, the famous phrase I think it was Aristotle but I'm not a philosopher was to avoid criticism say nothing do nothing be nothing and that's the truth we can all avoid it if we want <laughs> but you ain't going to achieve anything so a really interesting story in the latter part of David's life so after his son Absalom had used his authority and taken the throne in Jerusalem David was still king in Judea at the time uh, it says this in, in the, the book of Samuel I'll just read the I'll just read the story straight from scripture It says as king David approached uh, Bahurim a man from The same clan as Saul's family came out From there his name was Shimei son of Gera, And he cursed as he came out And he pelted David um, And the king's officials with Stones though all the Troops and the special guard Were on David's right and left As he cursed Shimei said get out Get out you murderer you scoundrel The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You've come to ruin because you were a murderer. It's fairly heavy criticism, isn't it? It's a fairly heavy attack, a fairly heavy opposition. Uh, Then uh, Abishai, son of uh, Zeruiah, these names are ridiculous, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut his head off. I felt like that sometimes. It's empty. Do you know what I mean? People giving you trouble, people are just going to go and punch them in the pus. You know, I'm, going to go and, I'm just going to go and deal with this like a man and put an end to it. If I thump them in the face, they're going to stop. Do you know what I mean? It's like we can be like that sometimes. That, that was this guy's answer to the opposition, I'm going to go and cut his head off. But the king said, What does this have to do with you, you sons of uh, Zeruiah? If he's cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? Uh, David then said to uh, Abishai and his officials, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this, Benjamin? Leave him alone. Uh, let him curse for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of this custody." And it said, so David and his men continued along the road, well, Shemai was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went by and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. The king and all his people arrived at their place exhausted, but there they refreshed themselves. So, le- leadership comes at a cost. Here's David starting along, he's getting pelted with stones, he's getting chucked with, chucked dirt over him, he's getting all sorts of stuff screamed at him and he just didn't react. He was able to handle it well. We never ever react to criticism. We have to. Okay, we have to at times respond to criticism. But responding and reacting are two different things. Responding is taking stock. Responding is thinking about how to how to respond to that in a godly and gracious manner. But if you react, you'll get into a fight. If you react, you'll get into an argument. I've seen church leaders react to a whole lot of stuff, and it just does not ever end well. Uh, one of the or part of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. We have to have self-control. David exhibited self-control very, very much here. If you want to be a leader, you're, you're, you're being a leader is literally like standing up and standing out from the crowd and putting your head above the parapet. And if you do that, you'll absolutely be attacked from time to time. But one of the main differences between a great leader and a poor leader is your ability to handle criticism. And you get people from time to time that say criticism doesn't affect me. That's rubbish. Criticism affects everybody. There's nobody that can say they're criticised and it doesn't affect them. It always affects people. But there are two responses to criticism. One is you grow from it and one is you become bitter. There isn't really another option. You either grow or you become better. So the question is not, as a leader will I be criticised? But it's how will I handle criticism? Um, I My alarm didn't go off this morning, so I didn't have as much time to prepare as I would have liked to have done. So I've taken this from a very genius leader man called John Maxwell. And this is some tips that he has for um, taking criticism. How do we as leaders take criticism? And this is one I do every single time. Ask if there's any truth in the criticism. Um, I've done this with the most... Horrific and brutal attacks I've had in my ministry is if somebody says something even if my initial reaction is that's a whole lot of garbage I will always go and pray and go God is there any truth in that that I need to learn from and quite often God says no it's just a stupid attack by a stupid person but you need to ask a question is there any truth in that ask is God saying something to you understand the difference, we need to understand the difference between constructive and destructive criticism because they are different things. So how we do that sometimes is look at the words that are said and determine the motives of the words that are said. Is this person trying to damage me or is this person trying to help me? You can quite easily tell the difference. Some of the key questions in determining whether criticism is constructive, which is to build up, or destructive to destroy is, um, is it uh, so I saw, so we Ask yourself that question: Is this criticism positive to build me up, or is it negative to tear me down? Ask yourself what spirit, in what spirit is it given? What spirit is it said in? Is this being said to me gently to encourage me and to help me, or is there a judgmental attitude behind it? Ask yourself when was the criticism given? And where was it given? Was it given privately or was it given in public? Public criticism is never for the building up of you. Private, constructive criticism often is. If someone cares about you enough to pull you aside and say, look, I've noticed this or I've seen this or I've heard that, like, you can actually learn from that. And the someone who loves you will always do it privately. And someone who loves you will always bring the criticism directly to you and not via other people and uh, not, not around about um, ask So as well as asking when was it given, was it private or public? Ask why was the criticism given? Is it for personal benefit and growth or from personal hurt? So is someone wanting to help you or is someone hurt? Because hurt people hurt people. If someone's hurt, they're probably trying to hurt you. So we need to ask that question. Uh, don't take yourself too seriously. Learn to laugh at yourself. If you make mistakes, because we all do stupid stuff sometimes, especially if you're me, uh, and sometimes like you get criticism, and you're just like, "Yep, yeah, totally did that. I didn't mean it. Didn't think. I'll try not to do it again." Like, don't take yourself too seriously. Be willing to laugh things off at times. Um, look beyond the criticism and see the critic. So, who said it is really, really, really important. There's certain folk who are going to criticise you, you just don't need to listen to them, because they're nutters. And there's certain people, church leaders, for example, or that trusted friend, for example, if they come to you with something, you want to listen to it. So really, really important, who's the person criticising me? Does their opinion hold weight? Do they have any clue what they're talking about? Do they have any experience in the field in which they're trying to give me advice? Or is it just someone that wants to have a go? Is it from a wise person? is this person normally critical? Because if they're frequently critical, again, you can take less notice of it because they just want to be critical anyway. Is this person usually positive or negative? Uh, if you're normally and in- positively encouraged by that person and they're bringing something to you, there might well be waiting it. If it's someone who moans about everything, you don't really need to take it seriously because that's just what they do. And ask yourself always, does this critic sincerely want to help me? Really, really important question. Also, really important that we watch our own attitudes toward the critic. A negative attitude towards the critic can be more destructive than the criticism itself. We need to keep ourselves right, especially as leaders. Recognize as well that good people get criticized all the time, Jesus get criticized. Like mad, he get called a gluten? Was he? No, but he get called it. He get called a drunkard. Was he? No, but he get called it. He was constantly criticised. Um, he was called, you know, he was told he was operating under the devil at one point. When Jesus, he, like, c- good people get criticised all the time. So just because you've been criticised doesn't mean you've done something wrong. Um, so always ask, always, always look at that. Realize that good people get criticized as well. Um, Really, really importantly is keep physically and spiritually in shape. That's what I'm trying to do with my whole weight loss and that. See, when you're exhausted and you're feeling low emotionally and you've got a bad diet, and you're like, you're a lot more vulnerable to criticism because you're no healthy and your head's no healthy. So, we need to keep ourselves as healthy uh, as we can so that we're in a better place. To, to deal with things. Also ask yourself if there's a especially if there's a if there's like a public critique that's on that's not came in the right manner, that's not came through the right channels, it's not a private one, it's a public one. Ask yourself, is it coming from loads of different people or is it just coming from one person? Like does does everybody think that? Is there a group of five or six that think that? Or is it just that one person that's took a hump at something because I've challenged them or, or whatever? So ask yourself, is it a crowd? Or is it a critic? What is it? Um, I I've found I don't really try to prove people wrong. I just kind of do what I do. And hopefully in time it does prove them wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like I just wait for God to vindicate me. So don't try and vindicate yourself. Just keep doing what you're doing. And God will vindicate every single time. But it really, really it's really easy to go I'm going to show them I'm going to prove them wrong. Remember, I need to be careful what I'm saying because this is still podcasted. Someone done, said some horrific stuff about me and done some horrific stuff to me. And I had it all recorded on a telephone call because I had to protect myself because I knew some of the stuff was going to be said. I could have exposed that person like you would not believe publicly. Um, but it's just know how you do things. You know what I mean? I left an experienced attack for, for years. In fact, I still do it at times. From this individual But They went and destroyed other ministries They went and destroyed other churches I didn't need to God vindicates you At the end So always do that And again coming back to people Surround yourself with positive people Not people Who like to be critical Surround yourself With the right people Concentrate on your mission Change your mistakes Learn from your mistakes But don't dwell on them And don't let your mistakes put you off your mission, make mistakes, building blocks and not roadblocks. Um, that's really really important so anyway, anytime you experience criticism, ask yourself those questions ask yourself, how am I going to handle this and make the effort to handle it as best you can um, number five I want to be quick, leaders show grace that's every time, leaders show grace, for godly leaders, people are always the most important thing and I say to my staff all the time, and I hope they would testify to this being the case, that they know they're more important to me than their roles are and what their functions are. Um, have you ever been in a situation, I don't know, say for example, you think someone's let you down, maybe somebody's late, maybe they've done something that you like, you're like, what, and you fly off the handle inside and you're pure raging about it and you've rehearsed in your head everything you're going to say to that person when they come in and then you find out they've got a really good excuse for what happened, do you know what I mean? Like, that person's late and you're pure getting raging and raging and raging then you find out they're in a hospital because they are in a car crash or something like that sort of stuff happens, do you know what I mean? It's just grace, grace, grace keep it chill, keep it calm what's the reason why this person's let me down what's the reason why that person's late, what's the, you know I mean? You're always asking yourself that stuff. And actually, even if the person doesn't have a good reason for having let you down, what good is shouting at them going to do anyway? What good is raising your voice going to do anyway? Keep it calm, keep it chill, and show an awful lot of grace. Showing grace doesn't mean that you don't set boundaries. You do set boundaries The staff have got boundaries, I've got boundaries in my role, and we know what those boundaries are, and those boundaries are important. And I'm not saying that there are not consequences put in place when you go out with those boundaries. There are absolutely, particularly in ministry, if you go out with your boundaries, there can be consequences in place. But even dealing with consequences and dealing with discipline, church discipline, staff discipline, people discipline, all of that stuff, it's always best done from a position of grace and not from a position of anger. Um, we saw again in, in the Bible I mentioned last time that David had the chance to kill Saul. Um, but he, he said, uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 24, The Lord forbid that I should do something to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. David could have uh, killed Saul to help himself out, but he showed grace. And that's what we're always called to do as a leader I also love as a side note that he showed respect for his leader and his leader's position whether his leader deserved it or not that's really really important for us to know if you want to be a good leader you need to respect leaders you're never ever going to get made a leader if you don't respect your leaders it says in the Bible have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep over you as ones who must give an account it doesn't say have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority if they've earned it there's, there's no if, there's no caveat to that as God places you in a church, you have to respect your leaders. Um, that's what the Bible says and if we can't respect our leaders we'll never ever become one. So that's a really good lesson from David who had no reason to respect the leader who was trying to kill him and who wasn't following God and all of that but he respected him because he was a leader that God put in place and again going back to point one, it's God who puts leaders in place so we need to be uh, very, very careful with that. Number six, this is a quick one we're getting there. Uh, leaders bounce back from failure. So a good leader goes again. A good leader tries again. A good leader picks himself up, does himself down and has another goal. We know that David recovered from many mistakes. We know that David recovered from murdering a guy, for having an affair, uh, from all sorts of crazy, crazy, crazy stuff and yet David was restored and David recovered and, I mean, I, you know, I look at my life uh, and I've, I've recovered and bounced back from failure. Some of the failure was my fault. So, well, the failure of my business was partially my fault and partially someone else's fault, more someone else's fault. But I was like, I made mistakes for sure. Me and Ella have, I don't know if you could say failed in ministry. Obviously, we were in a church that was growing and we had to leave because the people were not taking it and they wanted us out. But that's still the, 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 the plan and the mission and the vision I had failed for that place that I was in, because of people, not really because of us, but it still failed. But if I'd went, well my, well, my ministry experience was a failure, so I'm not going back into ministry again, then I don't get to see all of this amazing stuff that I've seen over the past four and a half years. If I'd went, well, my experience in business was failure, so I'm never going to try again, then rookies wouldn't be happening and we wouldn't be impacting all the people that were impacting. impacting. Um, don't let failure define you. Learn from failure and give it another go and do better next time. And definitely me and Ella feel we've been able to lead here so much better because of the experience we had in our previous uh, role uh, in church. We've been able to put things into practice. Number seven, leaders constantly inquire of God and obey God. Leaders constantly inquire of God and obey God. If we read the story of David, we'll frequently see phrases like David inquired of the Lord. First Samuel 23 verse twenty four says, When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and, loot- and they are looting the threshing floors. He inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to him, go attack the Philistines and you'll save Keilah. But David's men said to him, here in Judah we're afraid, how much more then if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? Once again David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him, go down to Keilah for I'm going to give the Philistines into your hands. And so they go and do it and they go and win this battle. And when it's funny because I look at the contrast between David and Moses actually. Moses sent some spies in and they came back and said, it's just as God said, but we can't do it. And so Moses went, "Right, well, we're not doing it. So Moses... As much as he was a great leader in many ways, Moses' people-pleased and actually as a result of his people-pleasing eventually he didn't get to go into the promised land, whereas he could have walked into it 40 years before, before he'd kind of done the wrong thing because he was trying to people-please. David What I like is he listened to the people So he listened to the point of view He didn't just go No I'm doing what I want I'm a leader It's my way or a highway So David inquired of God Came forward with this The people said We are no feeling it David And he went and inquired of God again But when God confirmed to him That he was to do the thing That he was supposed to do What did he do? He didn't try and please the people He obeyed God And it's really 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 important So yes we can listen to people We can re-inquire of God But we always go with God And we don't go with people um, does that make sense? Now, when, to do that, it's important that we maintain our intimacy with God. Again, come back to where I was it before. If we, don't have an in, if we don't have an intimacy and an intimate relationship with God, we're not going to move forward. I, I, read, I read it described as this. This is an example. This is one that I read. If you think about a marriage, right? You're in this marriage and one of the best things about marriage is intimacy, right? Just is, just is. So from intimacy in marriage can come babies. Just ask Becca, right? Can, can, can come babies, right? So out of this intimacy comes a baby. And then the baby takes up so much of your time and tires you out that much that you don't have intimacy anymore, right? It's really, really easy to happen and you have to be careful with that. But what happens out of intimacy with God is God births ministries and he births things within us. And sometimes we get so busy with the thing that was birthed that we lose our intimacy with God and then the thing that was birthed doesn't cared for properly and that fails and we fail and everything goes wrong. Am I making sense? We don't lose intimacy with God because of a ministry. We don't lose intimacy with God because we're working for church or because we're working on a mission field or, or, or anything like that intimacy with God remains a priority at all times and as we have intimacy with God and as we listen to God we hear from God and we put into practice the things that he said lastly and I know this one's been a bit longer today but hopefully it's been all right leave a legacy through other people so if you get to the end of the story of King David you read about all these other people that he trained up that went on to do great things after him and went on to win battles and went on to like guys defending cities against tons of folk on their own. And like you read about all these great warriors really that David trained and David led up and long after David died, his impact continued. And that's what we're called to do. Our ministries have to go on longer than us. Um, You know, what a phenomenal Sunday we had in Cormio. There are people in that congregation that I mean they hardly ever go. There's people who have verbalised, we'd rather just stay with a church of Scotland till it dies. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're like, What? Ah, but as long as it, it might stay long enough for me to get for me to get buried or for me to get have my funeral in a church of Scotland. Fol- like folk, some folk genuinely would just rather things died with them than continued. That is not godly. It's not biblical and it's not Christian. So if you're a leader, you have to ensure that you leave a legacy and that your work continues long after you die. And to do that takes purpose. You can't do that unintentionally. You have to do it intentionally. You have to be looking for who who can be taking this on from me? who Who can come in and move forward? And then you have to train that person. You have to spend time with that person and you have to transition. And so, so many churches don't do it. I've very, very seldom seen a church transition well. I have seen it a couple of times, um, but I've not seen it a lot. Um, And it's a real, real shame. So leaders leave a legacy through other people. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for The Engine Room. Why not follow or subscribe to this podcast and feel free to do the same to our social media pages as well as our YouTube channel. Find out more about our church at homechurchscotland.org.